is Andy Wakefield, and this is the Andy Wakefield Podcast. This is a place where stories are told that have never been heard before. Welcome back to the Andy Wakefield Podcast. My name is Lori Gregory. I'm here with the esteemed Andy Wakefield. Andy, so great to be back with you again. Yes, it feels like only last week. <laughs> That's right, indeed. And we are so pleased to have with us today a really special guest, and that is Mary Holland Esquire. Mary, is that the proper introduction that's for fine. an attorney uh, of your stature? <laughs> I'll go with it. <laughs> okay, wonderful. Well, Mary, of course, you are a part of so much in the health freedom movement, including being a part of the legal team at Children's Health Defense Fund, but also featured in our film, 1986, The Act. We are Always so grateful to be in the trenches with you and are so pleased that you are here with us today. There's so much to talk about in terms of health freedom. Well, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Where would you like to start, Andy? Because there's there's so many things happening so quickly in our movement. First of all, a, a huge thank you to Mary for her crucial contribution to the movie. Now, Mary, you know a, a huge amount about the act. You know a lot about the consequences of the act. Was there anything in the film that was new to you? There was, Andy. Uh, you know, it's a great film. Uh, it's very educational. I've watched it several times already, and I feel like I can watch it another 10 times and learn things each time I watch it. It's very, very dense. So what surprised me, Andy, was listening to Mike Hugo talk about the discovery documents that he and his team obtained before the passage of the act and his perspective that those documents were so damning like the ones that you pointed out where you know they were saving a penny on the dpt the, the pinto memo in the vaccine area that they those documents were so damning that part of the incentive for the act was basically to make sure that documents like that never came out again and and i had not seen those documents or heard of that beforehand. I had heard a lot about the, you know, negotiations and the blackmail and the we're going to leave the market and, you know, sort of essentially lying to the parents of vaccine injured children like Barbara Lowe Fisher. That all I knew. And I had talked with other attorneys besides Mike who had practiced before the passage of the act, but I had never heard that um, perspective, which I think is extremely important and valid and worth further study, that it was really the documents that came out in discovery that really forced pharma's hand to get some kind of protection because they couldn't afford, not only could they not afford the damage awards, that we, you know, we understood that, I understood that too, but they couldn't afford the disclosure of these documents that showed how craven they are. Yeah. So that was a revelation to me, and I really appreciated understanding that better from the film. Thank you. I, you know, when I sat down with Mike, I didn't know these things existed. And we, we sat down at his table and we went through them bit by bit. And I, I was thinking, this changes the entire story. It does. It it's really incredible. does. I, was, I believed one thing. I went into that interview believing exactly that, you know, here they were making very little money in terms of profit on the, on the DPT vaccine. They were having to take on liability and all everything that we'd been told and but you know they'd held the government's feet to the fire and said you've got to give us liability protection but it was all a lie 
And one of the most extraordinary documents was the Deitch memo. And I have got to say, I've seen, I've, I've analyzed uh, forensically a lot of fraud by the pharmaceutical companies over the years. But this really took the biscuit. It was a, a most alarming that you have a clinical trial, which is, starts 42 years after the vaccine is first licensed. 42 years so that they, they don't do a safety study. The FDA doesn't do a safety study. And of course, it's, it, they're learning of, of a very high rate of, of adverse reaction, serious adverse reaction. And then 1,500 doses into a 15,000-dose study, you suddenly get this visit from a, 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 a Wyeth employee. Yeah, that's unthinkable. You don't do that. You do not, and you don't say, yes, come and meet with me and I'll tell you the interim results when you've got a study that's being funded by a federal agency. Yeah, that would, if I mean, imagine if I had done that, Mary, I would be in prison. Sure. But um, there they did it. And then suddenly the adverse reaction rate drops from one in 300 doses reducing seizures to one in 3,500 doses. This doesn't happen. This simply doesn't happen. And what we just discovered, and this is really interesting, we, Brian Hooker and I are looking into this in great detail. Most of the authors of that paper are dead. Mm -hmm. And the only two that are left alive are Cody and Cherry. And so we've been trying to get information out of them really to, to no avail. But yeah. you would predict that the distribution pattern of the vaccine would have changed. In other words, Deitch came there, learned of this horror for his company, and they thought, oh, no, we can't have this. We're going to have to send them saline instead or our version of the acellular pertussis vaccine. Um, because we can't have them recording this rate of adverse reactions. And that is why I believe the reaction rate fell. And mm -hmm. so evidence in support of that would be if the distribution model for the vaccine for the trial from these companies changed mm -hmm. in the second year of the trial. That's exactly what happened. They oh. said, I want to know if that was part of the original protocol, because I can bet you my bottom dollar it was not. Yeah, no, I mean, and sadly, Andy, it, we see this repeat itself. I think that's great that you're continuing the work with Brian Hooker. And um, I, the, the, the film puts it together, I think, in a really cogent, logical way. The world is now seeing this unfold at warp speed. And so everything that we've learned from the development of the DPT and then the 86 Act to essentially give blanket liability protection to healthcare and pharma, you know, we're seeing this play out right now. I mean, you know, Bill Gates has said explicitly, well, we're not, we're not selling this to anybody who doesn't give us indemnity. I mean, that's just a foregone conclusion. We're not going to be responsible for these products. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's breathtaking. It is, isn't it? I saw him in an interview when he talked about, you know, yeah, everybody's going to get this vaccine, but there is a risk and therefore we're going to need indemnity. It wasn't, there is a risk. Ergo, some people are going to get hurt, and therefore we need to compensate those people who are, you know, put in the firing line and, and are the victims of our war on this particular infection. There was no milk of human kindness there. No, no, it wasn't no. about what we should do morally and ethically to help people through once they've been badly injured. It was we need indemnity. Thank you very much. Yeah, no, no, no. It's you know, seven hundred thousand people, seven billion on the planet. If it's you know, whatever he said, whatever the percentage is, seven hundred thousand or seven, whatever. We just need indemnification for that. It was very, it was very businesslike. He's a businessman. It's interesting, Andy, because 
he's the primary one of the primary funders behind uh, this thing called the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness Initiatives that came out two years ago. And I was really focused on that a few years ago when they were sort of developing it, thinking, well, you know, we should follow this. This is interesting. And one of the things that was really striking is, you know, this group of uh, Welcome Trust and Pharma and Bill Gates and, you know, the usual suspects, they were talking back then about should we have around the world, should we have the the sort of the framework and the model of the 86 Act, or should we have the framework of the PREP Act? And needless to say, you know, universally they were like, oh no, 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 we're not going with the 86 Act. That's too much, that's too much trouble. There's too much risk there. We're gonna go with the, the kind of the PREP Act model, which is basically if you're injured, your petition goes into a black hole in the government and there's no review and there's no judiciary. And you know, whoever forced you to take the vaccine or strongly urged you to, you know, recommended that you take it, they get to decide whether your injury had anything to do with their product. I mean, it's unbelievable, frankly. It's really unbelievable. And I think, you know, just the relevance of the film in the context of COVID is, it's just so great. You've been listening to the Andy Wakefield Podcast. To continue the conversation, go to 1986theact.com slash membership, where for $5 a month, you can subscribe and access the Andy Wakefield Podcast in its entirety and much more.